You make sweet music from my broken melody. They were mad at Jesus for ignoring religious laws and traditions, which he was doing in order to reach hurting people. Maybe it's less about trying to be the right kind of soil and more about an extravagant, gracious God who is determined to bring life into the parched, cracked, thorny places. Bind our hearts and unite our voices, we are here. That was a perfect song, lyrically, uh, for the ground we're about to cover together. Uh, just to set the context, it's always important a bit where we are here in Matthew's Gospel. The Pharisees have been grumbling, complaining that Jesus' disciples had been picking grain uh, on the Sabbath. It was in violation of the uh, religious rules and traditions of their faith. Uh, they had good reason for doing it, uh, but the religious leaders didn't like it. And right after that, Jesus healed the man with a withered hand of some sort. Also, this was during the worship service, so on, on the Sabbath, and this sent the religious leaders right off the edge. These traditions, these religious laws, are how... The world knows we are God's people. We are the people who follow these religious rules. That's how we are identified in the world. So they grumbled and they complained and they accused and they condemned. And it feels like Jesus has now had enough. And he points out that he's pretty sure that these hypocrites on the Sabbath would crawl down into a pit if an animal of theirs had fallen in and pull that animal out of the pit. And isn't this person more valuable, Jesus asks, than your animal? It's, it's right in the middle of all of this stuff that Jesus tells this familiar parable of the sower and the seed that we've all grown up with. One fine day, Jesus climbed into a boat and told a story to a crowd on a beach. The crowd was so big, pressing in on him, that he gets in a boat to give himself some separation and talks to them standing on the beach. Once upon a time, he said, a sower scattered seed all over the place. Just pause there for a second. Like Katie, I have props with me today. So, who can tell me what this is? It's uh, uh, Lori's father was a farmer, among many other things, as was her grandpa. This old thing, we found a couple of them, in fact, in Grandpa's barn or in one of the buildings at the farm. It's a it's a planter. So you you put the seed here in this canister and then you can kind of micro-target the good soil as you make your way along and put it in and plant one seed and continue. Kind of ingenious for its day. 
We'll see if this will stay here for me as a kind of visual reminder. So, we'll come back to that. This sower scattered seed all over the place. He didn't, he didn't have one of these things. And some seed fell on hard path and the birds found it and feasted. Others fell on shallow, rocky soil. So it couldn't put down roots and the sun was hot and it withered. Other seed got lost in a weed patch. And only that fourth batch found good, rich, deep, dark soil and yielded a bounty 30, 60, 100 fold. Jesus' parable of the sower and the seed invites an obvious question. Why, why does some seed make it and some does not? And we get it at the literal agricultural level. Jesus deals with that. I mean, it's the eternal problems of all farmers everywhere. Hungry birds, rocky soil, hot sun, not enough rain, too much rain. This is a parable about faith and God's grace and mercy and So there's this parallel spiritual question. That question is, why is it that faith in God takes root in some people's lives, but not in others? Why do some people find it possible, even life-giving and necessary, to believe, but others do not? I've known deeply faithful Christians who were never a part of a church as a child. Their family were just kind of indifferent to the whole idea of going to church, so they didn't have that experience. But somehow later in their lives, they were drawn into the faith. And I've had the privilege of baptizing several of uh, these folks over the years. On the other hand, I've known good people raised in the church their whole lives. In some cases, children of pastors and bishops who later on in life move away from the faith. A lot of young couples we know come to the church when they have uh, a baby. And it's easy enough for us to get a little cynical and conclude that these young parents come to get their kids baptized out of a sense of... of you know, family habit or, or tradition or they're getting pressure from grandma, you know. But anyone who has been a parent, especially after the birth of your first child, you quickly realize that you are in way over your head. And, and coming to ask for a blessing from God and some help, it makes all kinds of sense, right? Again and again, it is in the, the deep part of life, those places of profound joy and even profound sorrow that the seeds of God's gracious promises seem to find the soil needed to take root. Sometimes faith grows from a deep sense of gratitude for the blessings of love and, and life. And sometimes faith can, can take root in those deep valleys that feel like 
failure or, or even sadness when something is humbled or broken or lost. Maybe this familiar parable that Jesus told while so many religious leaders were condemning him for ignoring religious laws and traditions in order to reach out to hurting people. Same theme Brent said the youth were focused on during their mission trip. They were mad at Jesus for ignoring religious laws and traditions which he was doing in order to reach hurting people. Maybe the story then is less about trying to be the right kind of soil. You know, how do you do that ultimately after all? Maybe it's less about trying to be the right kind of soil and more about an extravagant, gracious God who is determined to bring life into the parched, cracked, thorny places which we just sang about together. What if the little, Natalia and I were just chatting about the little cartoons in our Sunday school books, you know, pictures that told us how we should be good soil in one way or another by, you know, sharing and, and helping and telling the truth. What if these little cartoons were missing kind of the bigger point of this story? What if good soil for faith to take hold is often broken, parched, cracked? Let's listen to Rachel Held Evans speak about just that. time talking to people who have been through recovery, recovering alcoholics, and I can't tell you the number of times I've heard people say, I've never found a church quite like AA. And that's because in those meetings with the terrible coffee and uh, the scent of cigarette smoke, people sit around in a circle and together they actually tell one another the truth. They confess their sins. They speak honestly about the uncomfortable reality that, Hi, my name is Rachel, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, my name is Joe, and I'm an alcoholic. And uh, Heather Kopp put it this way. She wrote a book called Sober Mercies, and she uh, is a recovering alcoholic. And she said that AA, she had tried and tried to find a church like AA and has never been able to find that. She said it's because people people bond more over shared brokenness than shared belief. This is why I think healthy churches look more like recovery meetings than country clubs. Uh, They look more like a group of broken, struggling people coming together, telling the truth about their experience to one another, Uh, confessing our sins, confessing the ways that we've been sinned against, and confessing when things just aren't right, when we're struggling with whatever it may be. But we have a tough time, I think, making our churches like that. Uh, and I think it's because um, we sort of think of church as a place for pe- people in the after photo, <laughs> you know, people who have got their act together. It's sort of like when you work out before you join a gym so that you look like one of the trim people. <laughs> You're in the habit of telling each other the truth like that. 
uh, I think the relationships are real. Uh, they're not just built around shared beliefs, shared denominational convictions. It's built around shared brokenness. And that is the great equalizer, that we're all broken, that we are all beloved, uh, and holding those two truths in tension. Um, that's what makes us the church. But I think we can create that mentality in our church where the table is at the center um, of our community and where um, we don't think of ourselves as teachers and learners, but as a recovery group of people sitting in a circle, telling the truth of their experiences, um, admitting their helplessness and their dependency, that's AA language, and telling the truth. I think the church has always offered that, and if it continues to offer that, it will be radically countercultural because this day and age, we're able, in my generation especially, we're able to so tailor our lives, our sort of online brand. We're able to tailor how people perceive us based on selecting information and putting it on the internet how we like it. And I'm as guilty as this, of this as anybody. Um, but I think in confession and in truth-telling, the church offers a countercultural path where we tell, surround ourselves with people who really know us, the good, the bad, the ugly, the sins, um, and that it's in those relationships that we really encounter Christ, that we really grow. Uh, the church should be a place where you can't edit your brand. <laughs> it's got to be a place where you tell the truth and where those truths are held in love and where reconciliation, repentance, and redemption are pursued. People bond more over shared brokenness than over shared belief. Heather Kopp wrote and Rachel shared. Wednesday evening we had with us Josie Robinson speaking about the practice of gratitude. And we've heard much about that recently. And spending 30 days of being intentionally grateful and identifying the things you're grateful for. And she kept a gratitude jar with her son and put a new item in that jar each day for 30 days. And she, she shared that this was born out of a, a time of real brokenness and sorrow and difficulty in her life. But that somehow this expression, this daily practice of gratitude was healing and life-changing for her. So she is sharing it with others. And then there in the midst of our Wednesday worship, others began to share some of their experiences. We were a kind of support group together, as we often are here on Sunday mornings and ask the pastors and in so many other ways. We are broken people. We are a broken church. Once there was a sower, and he didn't have in his heart a desire to find the worthy soil, the good and well-prepared soil. He got in all kinds of trouble because this sower was always looking for the broken soil. 
And so, he's come looking for you. You probably wouldn't raise your hand if I asked who in here feels like they are good, deep, rich soil, ready to receive God's Word and make it thrive. Jesus came breaking rules to get to the broken people. And there, he planted the soil of grace and forgiveness. In fact, it was in the very night in which he was betrayed that this sower, our Lord, took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Take and eat inside of yourself the seed of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness planted in the broken place of your heart. And after supper, he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it for all to drink. Uh, Remember who was there? Judas? Peter? Gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. It is shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Our Father, who art in heaven, You make sweet music from our broken melody. You do great things, though we refuse to see. You offer love through our cold and callous hands. Find our hearts and unite our voices, we are here.